please start by praying with me. Jesus, we are here because of you, and we desire to follow you more closely, and we confess that you are enough. You are everything we need. We pray that as we open your word today, your true word, Jesus Christ, would be made present to us, and that we would be transformed into his likeness. In his name we pray, amen. As Steve said, we moved here from Wisconsin, um, and both Katie and I grew up in the southeast, so when I get excited or tired, um, my southern accent comes out a little more, I can't help it. Um, it's not quite as bad as my mom, or as good as my mom. My mom adds syllables to words, um, although she has impeccable grammar because she was an English teacher, so it's, it's a funny thing. Um, so that might come out a little bit, and our oldest daughter, who's about before, says, um, much to my chagrin, she says, you guys, uh, because she learned in Wisconsin. So I'm trying to correct her grammar to get her to say y'all. Uh, I haven't quite gotten there yet. Um, Kansas is a new thing for us. I was um, pretty afraid of tornadoes right when we moved here. I, I grew up in hurricane country, which is a different type of swirling vortex of doom. Um, you get more warning with those, but I'm acclimating. Um, since you don't know me that well, I want to try to do something a little bit different. I want to tell you a story about myself. Okay? And I'm not going to do this because I'm a narcissist, because I think I'm the most important person in the world. Uh, I want to tell you this story for two reasons. First, uh, you know, help break the ice a little bit. I think that's good. And second, because I'm going to ask a hard question today. And the hard question that I'm going to ask wouldn't be fair for me just to push at you and ask you. So I'm going to ask myself this question as we go along, and we're gonna use the story that I tell you as a way of doing that, okay? And I think it'll help us get at what Paul is doing in Philippians. So if you'll journey back with me to when I was in college, 20, 21 years old, I grew up in Tallahassee, Florida, in the Panhandle, okay? So Southern Florida is like a suburb of New Jersey, basically, and you don't get a Southern accent if you live in Southern Florida. <laughs> Tallahassee and the Panhandle is the South, okay? So you get Southern accent there. Um, so I grew up there, and then my parents, my sophomore year of college, moved to Ormond Beach, Florida, over on the Atlantic coast, just north of Daytona. And I went to visit my parents um, during hurricane season. Um, and so hurricanes, big storms, they make really big waves. And I go down to the beach, they live less than a mile on the beach, I go down to the beach just to kind of check it out, and I see this. Okay, so if you know anything about waves, this is like a perfect wave. Okay. It's, it's barreling, it's peeling in one direction, there's an offshore wind, so it stands up really nicely. And I saw these people surfing out there, and you can't see all the surfers behind the wave because it's so high, um, but there are a bunch of them out there. And I was just like captivated, I was entranced, and I said, I have to learn how to do this. Okay. So I made up my mind, I'm going to learn how to surf, end of story. So I go back to college, and I start scheming, and I start checking surf reports every day, and like. Um, kind of mind surfing, that's what they call it. So surfing in my mind. Um, and somehow I sweet-talked my way into a job at a marine science center right on the beach at one of the best surf breaks on the East Coast. Uh, I was a humanities major in college. I don't know how I did it, but I got this job. Uh, so I got this job. After the school year ended, I moved back home with my parents for the summer to work this job. And I was like, I am ready to surf. And then it hit me. I have absolutely no idea how to surf. Um, I've been looking at a lot of stuff on the internet, but I don't know how to do that. I don't even have a surfboard. I don't even know what kind of surfboard to get, let alone what kind of wax I need for my board to keep me from slipping off and dying. Um, so, okay, let's back up a little bit. Um, 
in college, I am, if I had to describe myself, I would say I was a moderately athletic nerd. And I would put the emphasis on nerd, okay? So I was the sort of guy who would much rather be sitting in my room reading a book than in a group of people, a medium-sized group of people, even if I knew them, right? So moderate social anxiety. I was shy, very shy. And I, I had this like dilemma. I don't know how to surf. I need to figure out how to surf. And I saw this poster when I was out, and it was a poster for the Christian Surfers Association in Daytona Beach. I was like, I'm going to go to that, and I'm going to find somebody to teach me how to surf. And this is a big deal, right? I don't go to groups of strangers. So um, not only did I go meet this group of strangers, meeting on the beach, I went in my bathing suit, okay? So I, I should have been naked for all I cared. But my palms were sweaty. I was just like, <sighs> okay. So I go, and I meet this guy named Kevin. I've got a picture of Kevin. Uh, Kevin's on the left over there. He's a college student, roughly my age, home uh, for the summer. And we hit it off, and he said he'd teach me how to surf. So I borrowed his board for a while until I bought my own. And we surfed all the time. I got my job. I was working my job at the Marine Science Center. And I got into this routine. Um, my wife thought I was crazy. She still thinks I'm crazy. Um, but she definitely thought I was crazy then. We weren't married at that point. Uh, but I would get up at 4.30 in the morning so that I could be at the surf break and in the water as the sun was coming up. Um, it was just like serene, right? no traffic, nothing, it's just calm. Uh, so I'd be out there surfing as the sun would come up, and then when it was time to go to work, I'd get out of the water dripping wet, take my surfboard, hide it in the sea turtle rehabilitation area at the Marine Science Center, <laughs> go to work, lunchtime, I would throw something in my mouth, run surf for an hour, come back, finish work, and then I'd go surf for another hour or so after work until the sun went down, I'd go home, eat dinner, go to bed at 9 o'clock. That is not what college students normally do. So, am I right? I don't normally go to <laughs> don't normally go to bed at nine o'clock. Okay, I'm still trying to get my uh, four-year-old to go to bed early. She's resisting for some reason. I don't know. So, this is what I would do. Uh, for any outside objective observer, um, you would have probably thought this guy is obsessed. He is a fanatic. Maybe he's even a little bit crazy. Katie thought my wife thought I was crazy. She doesn't like the beach. She gets sunburned too easily. Um, but everything I did, I pointed at surfing, right? I got a job just so I could surf. And I would eat just so I could surf. And I went to bed early just so I could surf. It was everything I did. Okay, so I want you to keep this story about me in the back of your mind. And I want us to explore a passage from the first chapter of Philippians. We're going to start in verse 12. And I'm going to read um, a pretty long chunk. And uh, it'll take us a while to get through it, but I think it's good. Um, because God's word is living and active, and it does not return void to him. So um, let's open that up, starting in verse 12. It'll be on the screen if you want to follow along. Paul writes to the church at Philippi, I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. Remember, Paul is in prison, in Roman prison, for preaching the gospel. And most of the brothers and sisters, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. Some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering and my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just this 
that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will result in my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you're standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing, for he has graciously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. Since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So that was a long passage. Um, I'm going to work on digesting that as we go. Last week, when Devin introduced this series on Philippians to you, he told you that Paul was in prison, right? Um, Paul had a way of making people mad by preaching the gospel, and he ended up in jail for preaching. So that's our context for what Paul wrote here. And when I keep that context in the back of my mind and hear what Paul is saying, I think, the guy is crazy. Like, something is wrong with him. Maybe he's a little bit insane. Um, he didn't get the memo that being in jail is not something that you rejoice about, right? It's not cool to be in jail. Uh, it's not fun. That suffering is not something to rejoice about. And he gets, like, it just gets really weird for me when Paul gives thanks that the Philippian Christians have been given the privilege of suffering for Jesus. Um, Suffering, in my mind, is not a privilege. Uh, our four-year-old got a splinter in her finger uh, a couple nights ago, and I had to really convince her, like, it's going to hurt a little bit. You're going to have to suffer a tiny little bit um, to get it out, but it's going to be way better that way. Um, that's a normal reaction to suffering, right? I do not want to do that because it's going to hurt. And Paul says, I give thanks that you get to suffer on behalf of Jesus. That's nuts. He's... Something's wrong with them. That's, that's what I think when I read this passage. Um, but what's going on with Paul? What is it about him that makes him seem crazy or different to us is my question. And I think the more you read Paul, the more you read his letters, the more you read about him in the book of Acts, um, it becomes pretty clear what makes Paul different. Jesus is the absolute center of Paul's life. He is the first thing for Paul. If you know anything about Paul, right, he was a really righteous Jewish man. He kept the law. Um, he was so righteous about his Jewish faith that he persecuted Christians, right? He would drag them out of their houses, take them, put them on trial. He stood there and watched as Stephen, early Christian, got stoned. And then something happened. 
he met Jesus. And he put Jesus in the first place in his life. And we get to Philippians, and he's not persecuting Christians. He's giving thanks for the fact that he is persecuted on behalf of Jesus. Okay? That is a radical change. And I think it happened in Paul because he put Jesus in the first place in his life. He can rejoice in the fact that he's in prison because he gets to tell new people about Jesus, the imperial guard. He can help other people rejoice in their sufferings because it shows Jesus to the world. Okay. So, if you've got, you've got blank space on the back of your bulletin, I've got one question for us today. I'm gonna to ask it in a number of different ways. And I'm gonna ask it of myself. Um, and I'm gonna ask it of you. Does Jesus have that kind of place in my life? Does Jesus have that kind of place in your life that you could rejoice in the fact that you're suffering on behalf of Jesus? That you could be in jail and give thanks to God? Does Jesus have that kind of place in your life? I think that's the right question for us to ask. If you look at the rest of the book of Philippians, they had a little problem that Paul is addressing in this passage. They had some people who were trying to one-up each other. He talks about selfish ambition or envy or jealousy. They were trying to get ahead. Um, and they were using Jesus to do it. They were preaching about Jesus to make themselves look better. Um, and so you've got this competition, this jealousy, this back and forth trying to look better than everybody else. And what is Paul's answer to fix this problem? Put Jesus first. That other stuff will sort out if you put Jesus first. That's his answer. And he just keeps hammering it, hammering it, hammering it. He, right, he's talking about rejoicing, and he's talking about Jesus the whole way through in this passage and in the rest of the book of Philippians too. Okay. Does Jesus have that kind of place in my life, in your life? If it's not Jesus, what is it that has the first place in your life? Is it the pursuit of money, the pursuit of fame? Is it a physical or psychological addiction? Is it a sports team? Is it just some hobby, like surfing maybe? Um, what is it that's in the first place in your life? That's my question. And to be fair um, to you, if I were to go back in time and ask 21-year-old Stephen that same question, does Jesus have first place in your life? If I were being honest with myself, I would have had to say, you know what? It doesn't really look like it, does it? Um, after all, I was getting up at 4.30 in the morning to go surfing. I got a particular job on the beach so I could surf. I went to bed early at night so that I could surf. Anybody on the outside would have said, surfing is the most important thing to you, Stephen. Okay. That's, kind of, that's hard for me to think about. One of the reasons it's hard to think about is um, surfing is not a bad thing, right? It's, it's a good thing. I was in the best shape of my life. Um, I was going to bed early. You know, my parents were, you know, yay, he's going to bed early. This is a great thing. Um, I wasn't partying and doing drugs or anything like that. I was, by all accounts, a responsible young adult. Um, but my problem was that I had put surfing in a place that should have been for Jesus alone. Um, I could still surf, that's fine, but it should never replace Jesus. Um, so when I ask myself 10 years ago this question, uh, 
Paul convicts me. Um, and it's crazy because it wasn't even a bad thing that I'd put in Jesus' place. Okay. So what is it in your life that you're putting before Jesus or that's threatening to take the place of Jesus? Right? This is a question I continually have to ask myself because there's always something else that's pushing up on my priority list and threatening to take Jesus' spot. What do you need to change to put Jesus first? What do I need to change to put Jesus first? Funny thing, in the middle of this passage, Paul, you know, occasionally Paul will do these like weird kind of inner dialogues in the middle of a letter. Um, he does that in the middle of this passage, and he writes, Yes, I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will, his imprisonment, will result in his deliverance. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which I prefer. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Okay. And in this passage, he gets down to that key phrase that you might have memorized at some point in your life. He writes, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Okay. That's crazy. Jesus is so radically the center of Paul's life, he doesn't care whether he lives or dies. If he gets to live, that's awesome because he can tell more people about Jesus. If he dies, that's fine too, because he will have done it for Jesus, and Jesus will be glorified in it. Okay? That runs counter to everything in our culture. Right? We take heroic measures to extend our lives as long as we can. Right? Death is the ultimate thing to be avoided, but Paul relativizes it. He says, that's not important, because Jesus is the first thing in my life. Um, when I see that sort of devotion to Christ, I think, man, what am I doing? What, what can I do to be like Paul in the way he follows Christ? That's my question. Um, can you say the same thing that Paul said? Could you get up at 4.30 in the morning for Jesus? Could I do that? Could you walk into a crowd of strangers despite social anxiety for Jesus? These are questions I ask myself. Is he that central to me? In the book of Galatians, a letter to the church in Galatia, Paul brings up a similar theme and writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay. Jesus was so central in Paul's life that when they looked at him, they saw that Jesus was living in and through him. That is transformation of life. When people looked at me when I was 21, they would have said, that dude surfs. Okay. They might not have said, that dude loves Jesus, even though I was a Christian and went to church regularly, and I really love Jesus. So what is it in your life that keeps people from seeing Jesus 
when they look at you? What is it that is in that place in your life that should be for Jesus alone? Please pray with me. Jesus Christ, you are Lord. You were there in the beginning with the Father, and through you all things were made. Just as you have first place in all of creation, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would have the first place in our lives. We pray that you would be so central for us that when people look at us, they see you. Amen.